the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Jesus told the woman at the well, God wants those who worship him in spirit and in truth, totally given over to him. This means worship is an all-in commitment to honoring God with our whole persons. That's what's going on here. It's fueled and driven by gratitude, and the means is an all-in, all-me, soul surrender. We surrender our rights, we surrender our past, our present, and our future to God. I can see the promised land, though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in the end, your love is my battle cry. Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues with his study through the Book of Romans with a series of messages he's entitled, Changed Relationships with God. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Particularly among the unbelieving world and the pagan world, is sort of a give-to-get thing. If I do this for God, I'll get this back. But worship in the Bible is not a give-to-get. It's a give-to-give. And it really comes through powerfully in our passage today. So let's talk about three aspects of worship so that we can know how to worship rightly. How do we rightly approach worship? Well, first and foremost, we consider the motive for our worship. We ask ourselves, what's my motive? What should my motive be? What is the motive for worship? Some of you have heard me say before, right thinking leads to right attitudes, actions, words, and deeds. That's what's going on here, right thinking. What should our motive be for worshiping God? What should drive us to it? And you get a clue in Romans 12, 1a, and the first few words of Romans 12, 1. What does it say? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Or you could translate it this way. I urge you, therefore, brothers, through the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your logical service. When we are brought into right relationship with God, when we are saved, when we are rescued, when we are born again because of what Christ has done for us, we're grateful. 
Our relationship with God has changed. We are no longer enemies of God, but of children, and of children heirs, and of heirs co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And this is because of what God has done for us, making us alive in Christ. And therefore, we live lives of gratitude. We live lives of gratefulness in response to the mercies of God. Worship is a response to the mercies of God fueled by logic and reason, not merely sentiment or emotion. I urge you, therefore, brothers, through the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your logical service. As I mentioned earlier, some translations say spiritual service of worship or reasonable service of worship or reasonable service, and they all get the essence. But the word there is logikos, from which we get the English word logic, and which you get the Spanish word logico. Hopefully I pronounced that relatively well. And our response to God is our logical is the logical outworking of our thankfulness. When you are thankful, when you are grateful, you express it. And when you look at this passage, it's an amazing thing because here's Paul, who describes himself as having been the prince of sinners, a persecutor of the church, who is reaching out to this church in Rome and calling them to have an attitude of gratitude toward God, given all that God and Christ has done for them. And, you know, when you think about it, the mercies of God, as we've worked our way through Romans chapter 1 through 11, we understand that our salvation isn't the result of human effort or exertion. But in Romans 9, 16, it's all about God who has mercy and not about us. So our relationship with God, our worship, our presence here today is one that should be marked and fueled, driven by an attitude of gratitude in response to all that God and Christ has done for us. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23. And we know the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what we studied in Romans 6.23. And we studied in Romans 8.1 that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we come to this key verse here in Romans 12.1. I urge you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, through the mercies of God, in light of the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your logical service. It makes sense, doesn't it? Given that God has done so much for us, that we would love him and worship him selflessly. Worship is our logical and grateful response to God's mercy. It is our motive. His mercy is the motive for our worship. It motivates us, it drives us to our knees in prayer and thanksgiving because God has demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8, Christ died for us. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those are the mercies of God described in Romans ten thirteen. And because God is so gracious, we respond to him with thanksgiving and gratitude and worship. It's only logical. This is our motive of worship. Gratitude, that was aspect number one. Consider the motive for worship, gratitude. Why do we worship God? Gratitude, thankfulness. Let's consider our second aspect. The second aspect of worship, the second reason for worship, the second approach to worship, and you see that here. Consider the means of worship. With the change in relationship is a change in means. And I'll explain that in a few moments. Our means of worship changes as we have entered into a saving 
relationship with Jesus Christ. Consider the means of worship. Look again with me at Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How are we to worship? By what means? By what means do we worship? The passage tells us clearly, doesn't it? We give our whole person to the enterprise. We give our whole person to God. We give it back to God as an act of worship. We devote ourselves to him in our entirety. The reference here in the language points back to the book of Leviticus. The word service there is a very particular word that was in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And it speaks to a ritual, ritualistic, faithful worship activity, a regular worship activity. We are regularly giving our bodies ritually to God. And when I say ritually, I'm not talking about some mindless, empty repetition of some sacrament repeated over and over again. No, this is something driven by our will, by our gratitude, by our thanksgiving. It's not the meaningless activities of man-made religion. Ritual was originally defined and understood as an ongoing, regular practice of devotion to God. And therefore, think of worship as a process that is continual, that is ongoing, that is 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I urge you, therefore, brothers, through the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. You see, worship isn't merely an event that takes place once a week or that took place in the temple periodically. It was an ongoing thing. It was an ongoing process. It wasn't carnal. It wasn't common. It was special because the people of Israel presented something very costly as a bull or a lamb or whatever it was repeatedly to God in thanksgiving for what he had done and was doing for them. That's why it talks about a living sacrifice. And here the language is kind of interesting because normally when you sacrifice something, you kill it and it's done, it's dead. But we are living, breathing, ongoing sacrifices, holy, set apart to God, given over to God continually as a process of worship, as an aspect of our existence. Worship is what we do. Horses were meant to run, birds were meant to fly, fish were meant to swim, and Christians were meant to worship. And we do so logically, thoughtfully, willfully. This gets back to worshiping God, not in our own way, but in a way that he calls us to. We don't want to be like Nadab and Abihu. We want to be what God wants us to be. We want to approach him. We want to honor him. We want to serve him. We want to worship him in a way that is acceptable to him as beings, as human beings set apart to him, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, given over to him. A lot of times as human beings, fallen, broken human beings, we procrastinate. But in this text, worship is urgent. We're giving our whole body. That's who we are. We're giving our whole person as a living sacrifice, we're presenting our bodies, everything that's contained in our earth suit, as a living sacrifice, which is acceptable to God, which is being transformed and renewed to the image of his son, which is being conformed to his will and not our own, acceptable to God. Worship isn't something we do haphazardly. Nadab and Abihu have showed us that. 
Ananias and Sapphira have shown us that. But you know what? Paul shows us that in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he talks about the preparation, the thoughtful, deliberate, careful preparation that we go through as we approach the Lord's table at communion, holy and acceptable to God, making sure that we have confessed our sin, that we have rethought our lives, that we're trying to be conformed to the image of his son rather than to the image of the culture. And the means of worship is a giving of ourselves. God gave us his son. Jesus gave his life for us. And we should only give back to him a fraction of all the innumerable blessings that we, that we can. We can't ever repay the debt, but we can worship him in a way that honors him every day in every way with our mind, with our lips, with our lives, with our bodies. That's the kind of worship he wants. Jesus told the woman at the well, God wants those who worship him in spirit and in truth, totally given over to him. This means worship is an all-in commitment to honoring God with our whole persons, with every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our being. That's what's going on here. It's fueled and driven by gratitude because of all the mercies that he's shown us. And the means is an all-in, all-me, soul surrender. We surrender our rights. We surrender our past, our present, and our future to God. Thirdly, I want you to consider the method of worship here. The method of worship. And that's this, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, methods matter to God. Ask Nadab and Abihu. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. Read your Bible. Think about your approach to communion. Worship should be deliberate. It should be thoughtful. It should be God-centered, not man-centered. And it should be deliberately focused on giving God the glory due his name, the respect that he deserves, the respect that is his as the king of the universe. It should not be conformed to the age in which we live, to the culture that surrounds us. Worship should be deliberately, thoughtfully, and clearly countercultural. Let me take you back to my translation. It says this, do not be conformed to this age. There are two words. There's a word for world here, cosmos. That's not found here. What's found here is the word from which we get our word era. Do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to this era. But change yourselves by the constant renewing of your mind so that you can discover what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. The Holy Spirit's wording here through the pen of the Apostle Paul is really timely and timeless. Think of the age in which we live. Think of the era in which we live. Think of what passes for Christianity today, what passes for worship. And the word here is the word from which we get the word systemized or systematized. Do not be systematized by this age. Do not become systematized according to this age, but be transformed. The word there for transform in the Greek is the English word metamorphosis. But be metamorphosized. You're living in this cocoon that we call a human body, and what's inside is constantly changing until it comes out one day when we die and go to heaven or when Christ returns. And he's saying, don't think like this world. Don't, don't be 
lulled into your worshiping God in your own way, but be changed, be transformed, be metamorphosized. Don't dance around the coffin when you're nine months pregnant. And when, when you lean over and your leg comes up, everybody gasps because they think you're going to flip over. Do not be conformed to this age, but change yourselves. This, this, is, this is means you're thinking through your relationship with God. You are changing yourself. You are looking at yourself and you are renewing your mind. And the, the, con- the greater context here has to do with, with the Bible. You are renewing your mind with the Word of God. You are reprogramming your thinking to match the will of God, not being conformed to this era, but being transformed by what this book says about life, about you, about God, so that you can discover what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The ESV says that by testing, by weighing your activities and thoughts in the scales of Scripture, you can know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can discern. This is thoughtful. You know, we live in an age where we want to be emotional, where we want to give in to our emotions, and it's all about feelings, but the Word of God is about facts. It's about thinking. Christianity, someone once told me, is a religion of the ear. You hear and respond to the Word of God. You read the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. And what is holy to Him has to be holy to us. And what is acceptable to him has to become acceptable to us. That is our logical service of worship. And when it talks about the ritualistic aspect here and it talks about in the grammar to be constantly renewing your mind, to be constantly transformed, we see that worship here is a process and not an event. We don't do it once a month. We don't do it once a week. We don't do it once or twice a year. The wording here speaks to a process of metamorphosis. Our minds are inside these cocoons we call bodies, and it is to be constantly changing. Worship is a continual, daily, ongoing process. Our motive is love and thankfulness for God and the mercy that he has shown us that we couldn't earn, that we couldn't buy, and that we couldn't deserve. The means is the giving of our whole person over to him. We don't hold back, we surrender. He is our God. He is our Lord, and what is ours is His, and we surrender to His Lordship. The method involves a thoughtful, intelligent, discerning investigation and exploration of what pleases Him, of what meets the expectations He sets for our conduct, our thinking, what we say in His Word. Do not be conformed to this world, but instead, in contrast, Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discover, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are constantly to be adjusting our lives, to be be recalibrating our thoughts and our thinking and our living and our speaking according to the good and acceptable will of God. So how do we define worship based on these three aspects, based on these three concepts? I would say this. Worship is all that we say, think, and do as we devote ourselves, our whole persons, to the service of God given all he has done for us. It is the logical response to the Savior's saving, and it is done in conformity to his will according to his word. That's what worship is. It's not what we feel like doing. It's what God calls us to do. Now, we have liberty in there, but we are not to be careless in our approach. 
What we do has to make sense. It has to communicate to people. It's not just for us, it's for all people who are with us. It may feel good to throw paintballs at a screen, but what does that communicate? You may feel like I want to dance. I remember somebody telling my wife years ago, my daughter danced at a worship service and people got saved right then and there. And I'm thinking, well, what about her moves communicated the gospel expressively and explicitly and understandably and intelligently? So what do we do with this in terms of application? This is Unity Sunday. We are one church expressed in at least two languages. You know, as I look around the room, I see people from Mexico, Central and South America. I see people from the Philippines. I see people from Indonesia. I see people from Europe, Canada, and the United States, to name a few places. We are from different places, different backgrounds, different eras. We come in all shapes and sizes. But as I said earlier, and I don't mean this lightly, we are related by blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. We are blood relatives, children of God, and of children heirs, and of heirs, co-heirs with Christ, and he has saved us so that we can serve him and introduce others to him in an intelligent and thoughtful and sacrificial way, day in and day out, wherever the Lord God puts you. You and I, we were raised up for such a time as this. You are not here by accident. God has placed you here for a purpose, to live out that purpose, for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for our own growth. So what do we do with all of this? I'd like to take these three aspects of worship and really ask you to make them three principles, three practices. Number one, let us worship God with an attitude of gratitude. Worship should be joyful. It shouldn't be something you put off. It shouldn't be something that you don't look forward to. You know, if you're here today with us and and you're just miserable, find a church you can be happy with. But you need to be joyful in your worship so people can see the joy of the Lord in you. You need to be deliberately countercultural. We live in a culture of entitlement, not thanksgiving. Worship God with an attitude of gratitude. Number two, let us serve him with our whole persons daily in all that we say, think, and do. Every time you speak in the classroom or the workplace or in the home, you're worshiping God or someone or something else. We want to be wholly, totally given over to God. We want to be immediate and deliberate in our worship, which brings us to the third, uh, the third application. Worship him thoughtfully, logically, and rationally with your minds. How can you do that? Well, the next time you're having an argument with a sibling, a spouse, I know that never really happens, say, is what I'm about to say going to bring God pleasure? Is it going to honor him? Make these three aspects of worship practices. Is it easy? No. I can tell you for myself it's not easy. But difficult does does not mean impossible. Let's make these three aspects of worship our principles and priorities as we worship God daily through all that we say, think, and do. Deliberately, logically, thankfully, gratefully. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be gathered here today as a church family in this hall, saved by grace, set apart for your service and with the opportunity to serve others. Because we love you, because we're thankful, because we want to give back to you, Father, even though we can never repay your love. And so we 
thoughtfully think through how to serve you. Where we can get plugged in, how we can serve, how we can give of our time, our treasure, and our talents. Father, we thank you for all that we have in Christ, and we want to serve you, Lord. We want to worship you in the beauty of your holiness according to your will, which is found in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening.